What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All the Above Podcast Extra. As you know, we like to drop these in between our full episodes. This is our little passing period in between full episodes, and we are very much in between full episodes as we transition to this new semester and get things rolling. It might be a minute till we have another super dope guest on the show, but y'all know we're still going to bring you, still going to bring you that super dope analysis of everything happening in the world of education. Well, not everything, because Jeff, there is a lot a lot happening in the world of education and we simply cannot address it all during these passing periods but we will discuss a story or two and uh, unpack the continued happenings in our school system my name is manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher and jeff man it's raining again here in los angeles once sunny los angeles we are here in the rain and uh, how you doing this week jeff you know i am i'm doing quite well uh, Manuel, I am actually uh, on a period of sabbatical now from, from work, uh, which I which I feel both excited about and also like odd, oddly guilty for uh, <laughs> for, for taking. Uh, you know, nah, and- no guilt. You earned it. You deserve it. We should all have the opportunity to take a sabbatical, we especially absolutely. man, every, especially people in education, man. Anyways, continue. Sorry. Yeah, no, I. You are a hundred percent right. I couldn't agree more. Um, yeah, so I have uh, a nice chunk of time here, starting today. Today is my first day. <laughs> well, of yeah, of sabbatical, and um, I am going to be doing. I got to go home to do some some family stuff. Um, and that sort of thing. Uh, and then I'm going to be traveling. I'm leaving the United States and going somewhere else. Still polishing up the details on the on the plan, but I will be yes. traveling abroad, uh, dusting off my passport. And uh, and then uh, I'm also trying to like just do some healthy things, you know, cook more, take good care of myself, sleep enough, you know. These sorts of things, yeah. and I uh, I started last night, Manuel. I made a uh, for the first time ever. I tried making uh, eggplant parmigiana, and uh, I have to say, it came okay. out it came out pretty solid. Not not perfect. I could you know do a couple things next time to like get it right, but uh, it's a solid like eight out of ten. I would say. Nice, nice. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Now, shout out to you for for going ahead and taking that sabbatical. We live in this capitalist grind culture where we are made to feel guilty for taking care of ourselves sometimes and made to think like, oh, no, we got to keep working, got to keep working, got to keep grinding. Nah, man, F that. I love it. I love it. All right. Shout out to you for that. Um, Sorry that your first day of sabbatical is this rainy day. Actually, you know, maybe you enjoy the rainy day. Uh, and shout out to everybody across California as these continued storms, these continued atmospheric rivers continue to pound us. I know some folks, especially um, up in Northern California, I think especially up in Northern California, but folks dealing with power, power outages and landslides and flooding and all that stuff. So uh, definitely hope everybody stays safe and everybody... Um, Man, stays home and and weathers the storm literally um, as we try to address the drought. At least uh, you know, it's blessings on blessings getting all this water. But sometimes it's a maybe a little bit too much all at once. But yeah, and also you know, shout out to all my 49er fans out there. We play in a couple hours. Hopefully that doesn't ruin our weekend. Hopefully get this <laughs> W. All right, folks. Um, education podcast. Let's talk education.
let's talk about talk about what's happening in the school system. Um, first of all, I'd be remiss if we don't mention and send our our love, love and condolences to the the family and the students and the friends of Keenan Anderson. Now, for anybody who's not familiar um, with the story, Keenan Anderson, a teacher, thirty one year old teacher and father, uh, teaches in D.C. Was here in Los Angeles during winter break and is no longer with us because the LAPD um, held him down and tased him for over 90 seconds as he begged for help. Uh, I'm not going to get into detail. Some of y'all might have seen the video. The video, the body cam footage is is certainly very disturbing. Um, I'm thinking about Keenan's students who came back from winter break and their teacher is no longer there. I saw I saw a couple of video clips of, of him in his teacher role and I can't imagine what those young people are are feeling and, and dealing with now knowing that their teacher's not there, particularly knowing that their 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 teacher was involved in a car collision and flagged down police officers for help. And the end result of that was that Keenan no longer is with us. So love, condolences, everything all of the things to Kenan Anderson, his family, his students, and his friends, because, um, man, here we go. Year just getting started in LAPD. That's already their third third person that has died at the hands of Los Angeles Police Department this calendar year. So, Jeff, we have a story that we're going to spend most of this passing period focusing on. And um, I, it it's not a feel-good story, and obviously... It's, it's just, if only education could all be good news of folks just loving and learning and growing together and building a generation of young people who feel equipped to take part in this beautiful tapestry of humanity that we have globally. And man, unfortunately, some of the headlines and some of the stories and some of the data that we get is just... Um, not great, not great, not great. And this here story that we're going to talk about today appears appears to be not great. Um, appears to be not great, especially for those of us who work in schools. So, Jeff, man, what do we got for passing period this week? Yeah, man. Well, well, we got a couple of uh, a couple of stories we're going to touch on today. But to, to kick us off is um, a just a really a fascinating one. Now, it is on the one hand, like concerning, very concerning, uh, about the welfare of our youth. And also, I think it's fascinating from a standpoint of like, it gives us a lot to think about in terms of what the effects of school are on young people. It gives us a lot to think about in terms of what is really important about what happens in school or how we define success in school, um, that sort of thing. So, um so I, I think it's not just, you know, sad and depressing. It is, uh, you know, it's an interesting, like, alternate mirror with which to look at, at education. So, I, you know, I think everybody, I would, I would imagine, just about everybody, if we said, like, what's the effect of not going to school that we saw exacerbated by the pandemic on kids... People would be like, oh, it was bad, you know, like I got my child was like starting to regress behaviorally. They were, you know, having tantrums or cutting themselves or got, you know, developed anxiety or depression. They were sad. They lost their friends, whatever. I don't know anyone. Well, I shouldn't say I don't know anyone. I know very few people who were like, oh, this was a great, 
you know, that shift away, the abrupt loss of in-person schooling was great for my kid. I know some folks that were experiencing really tough times at school for different reasons had that experience. But I feel like generally the, the consensus uh, way of thinking is like, oh, losing in-person schooling was bad. School, in-person schooling is good for kids. And I think, Manuel, that generally speaking, I agree with that statement. But like I said, this is a, a story. Um, it's actually a working paper uh, that comes to us out of the National Bureau of Economic Research, which is a nonprofit um, based out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. And uh, it's in theory nonpartisan, and you know, it's just a bunch of uh, ec economists and scholars who study social health kinds of issues and publish stuff to inform discourse and, and policy and that sort of thing. So there's this paper they um, recently released in December called "In-Person Schooling and Youth Suicide: Evidence from Cal from School Calendars and Pandemic School Closures," written by um, three authors: Benjamin Hansen, who is at at the University of Oregon, uh, Joseph Sabia, uh, who's at San Diego State, and then Jessamine Schaller, uh, who's at Claremont McKenna College. And um, essentially, um, what they discovered, or what they, I shouldn't say they discovered, building on some research from other folks, they did more investigation looking specifically at the pandemic window to uh, to try and like see if this theory held. So I guess for some period of time, there's been data that has told us that youth suicide actually goes up when school calendars begin and goes down when school calendars end. Effectively meaning that like there's a strong correlation between a rise in teen suicide and the the uh, schools being in session across the country. And there seems to be, although I have, you know, I, there's a limit to the uh, statistical analysis I did in reading this paper, but there seems to be across a wide variety, you know, urban, rural, suburban, poor, rich, whatever, this seems to be a trend that generally holds um, or a correlation that generally holds. And so what these scholars did was say, given that reality, let's look at the pandemic period, specifically spring of 2020, when we had an abrupt shift away uh, from in-person schooling for most kids around the country, um, you know, did this trend hold? And it seems as though it did, that, um, you know, it's sort of confirming that there does seem to be this correlation. And we should probably remind ourselves that correlation is not the same thing as causation. And some correlations are, are more disturbing than other correlations. And so, uh, you know, this, this, this has given us a whole lot to think about, right? In terms of like, why would teen suicide be going up when school's in session, when so many of us experienced very personally kids who got disconnected from school and started experiencing lots of mental health or social and emotional challenges that we often think of as, as in some ways like the antecedent behaviors or antecedent experiences that if not interrupted would lead to something like suicide, right? Um, so this is like, you know, for me, I said before, you know, before the show, man, well, this was causing lots of kind of cognitive dissonance for me because I'm like, it doesn't seem to track with what I feel like I see and know and experience as true. Um, and yet, here's the data, right? So, so it's important that we confront this. The authors do essentially suggest that school-based bullying or bullying that might be 
um, experienced in more acute ways or exacerbated uh, because of the presence of in-person schooling um, could be a major driving factor um, here, right? And on an intuitive level, that kind of makes sense, right? That like maybe the, the, the cases where kids are so besieged by, uh, you know, these feelings of social isolation, being bullied, being, you know, outcasted, picked on, what, you know, however it might manifest, um, that those things might actually be worse when you're in a place with hundreds or thousands of kids, as opposed to the just like loneliness and disconnection you might feel when you're at home, but maybe at least you got your cousins around or your brothers and sisters around or your mom and dad around or, so, you know, at least there's some kind of uh, community around you um, that pres presumably is not, you know, bullying you about your pimples or, you know, the kinds of things that like kids in, in at their worst can be really cruel about, right? Um, and so, or things like, you know, your sexuality or, you know, your race or other, you know, other kinds of things that are deeper than just pimples, I guess, right? So, um, although I don't mean to minimize the cruelty that can happen on that front too, but um, anyways, you get what I'm trying to say. So, uh, fascinating uh, publication here, Manuel, and that, uh, you know, yes, it's disturbing and also it's making me think a lot about like, okay, so this kind of you know, confronts some of the stuff we think we knew and assumed to know to be true. And so now what, right? So what, what, what are we going to do about this or what should we do about this? And to me, that's where, even though this is disturbing data, it's actually giving us an opportunity to think differently uh, about this thing we call school. So what, what, Manuel, as someone who works with teens every day, and I'm sure has experienced some version of everything that I, <laughs> that I was just naming in your regular daily practice. Yep. How does this land for you? Yeah, this is, this is, I mean, it's tough. I guess on one hand, I'm not super surprised, but it's also, you know, kind of jarring because if this were to be reported on like whatever, uh, on cable news or something like the little headline, the little um, Chiron at the bottom of the screen would basically read like teen suicides are up when school is in session. And as somebody who works in a school, as somebody whose whole career, whose whole work identity revolves around schooling and being a teacher, you know, that, that's that's tough to take because, you know, we, we like to think about and hope that school is this warm, welcoming place and, and that we educators, we classroom teachers are constantly on the lookout for anything um, related to bullying or or uh, victimization, things like that. So, so you know, it's kind of a tough pill to swallow. Like, oh, wait, these they kids are doing worse when school is in session uh, than when they're, when they're, they're not at school. But to your point about correlation versus causation, like this isn't saying that schools are causing it. It's, it's way more likely that this is about gathering a whole bunch of young people together and the, the sorts of... Um, bullying and the sorts of beyond just bullying, just the, the difficulties of navigating any kind of social context, social environment, period, but especially when you're a young person, especially when you're around other young people who are all either struggling to uh, try to fit in or to not be victimized. And, and that could just be really, really difficult. So, you know, if there were some other context in which young people gathered in the same space routinely, I'm sure that these, these uh, results would still be pretty similar because I don't think it's so much what's happening school-wise in terms of like, you know, 
the teachers and the counselors and the staff and the cafeteria and all that, I think it's more about young people interacting with other young people in person and the difficulties associated with that. So so there's that. Um, yeah, I, I think it's important to note that this working paper looked well beyond just um, the pandemic and school shutdown. So, you know, they went all the way back to, to the 90s and and this isn't just about right now, although right now feels like a incredibly like difficult moment as compared to pre-pandemic, given all the challenges of the pandemic and also the differences in how um, humans interact, given the advent of technology, um, social media and uh, cell phone technology and all that stuff. So um, so this isn't just about the pandemic. But anyways, stepping away from all that as a teacher. Obviously, um, it hurts my heart to know that despite all of our efforts as teachers, despite all the efforts of counselors, of school staff, of administrators, of bus drivers, of, of all the adults around, there still is a giant amount of what we could call bullying happening. And this, this um, study pointed out that even just looking at Google Trends, they could see that searches for uh, things associated with bullying or searches for terms like or uh, phrases like my child is bullied. All this stuff is all up when school is in session. And for schools that start in August, this it's, all these these things tick up in August and schools that start in September in those areas, they see that these things tick up in September. So it's like really closely associated with school being in session. And during the pandemic, those schools that went back to so-called in-person while other schools stayed virtual, they saw uh, increases in those schools more so than schools where things were completely online or, or virtual. So it's really disturbing that like we've had years and years, I think, of discussion about the, the negative impacts of bullying. Um, this study points out that for teens who reported considering or planning or attempting suicide, bullying victimization is associated with a 269% increase in the risk of suicide behaviors like this stuff. And I think we, it's been what, like 10, 15 years, I think, in my, in my own personal memory, where bullying has been like almost a forefront of discussion in terms of like, yo, this stuff, especially, you know, cyberbullying, so-called, um, where it's been a really big talking point in education circles and about making sure that students are, um, are safe and students have someone to go to and that students know to, to you know, if you see something like, you know, reach out to a teacher or staff member. Like, I feel like um, it's talked about more than it was when I was in school, you know, me being an old person. And yet here we are, and it's still happening pervasively in a sense of like, yo, you can actually see that teen suicide risk is up when school is in session because this bullying stuff still happens. And it's not just the online stuff that would happen year round. It's the in-person stuff or something happened in person and then it continues online after school. It's very, very, very um, frustrating as an educator that we're not at a place where like we feel like we have a handle on this or maybe folks do feel like we have a handle on this in this this uh, working paper is showing like nope even now in 2020 21 22 23 this stuff is out of control when it comes to the risk of uh suicidal thoughts and suicide uh, attempts at suicide when school is in session so yeah man it's a tough pill to swallow as an educator it does remind me that like this whole idea of in-person schooling for you know the the debates that were happening during the um, during the lockdowns and during the the height of the pandemic, we said on this show and we had guests on the show and several have mentioned that like well it's not automatic 
that a student is doing worse by staying at home because for a lot of people, home is a loving, supportive environment and school is the place where um, they, some students, particularly uh, black students, indigenous students, don't see themselves in the curriculum or school is a place where uh, teachers are in security, are uh, being extra, extra harsh on students of color or whatever. And we talked about how home might be the more loving environment for a whole lot of young people and this assumption that they'd be better off in school, in person, um, needed to be interrogated and especially looked at through a more critical lens because that assumption um, wouldn't equally apply across um, demographics. And when we think about our, our queer students and, and, and just the difficulty of being in person and the fact that physically being in person doesn't really mean you're in person if your teacher doesn't see you. Physically being in person, in-person schooling doesn't mean you're actually in person if you can't be your full true person because of the, the context and the, the social um, networks around your school and, and, and who's who and who's valued and who's seen and who's not. And I could only imagine this will get worse in those states that are going very hard against and very hard in attacking our LGBTQ population. And I imagine these things are gonna get even worse. These um, risks of suicide will get worse in those states that are trying to very, very strictly attack our trans youth. And yeah, man, it's a tough pill to swallow, man. We should be way past this. We should be a, a real humanizing, loving environment for all students by this point, but we're not. And it's not the school's fault necessarily because this stuff will probably happen regardless as, you know, as long as young people are are gathered together. But damn, man, it's, I don't know, man, it's it's, it's tough, it's tough. I, have, I would just like to point out that uh, humanizing, loving, these, these sound like uh, communist propaganda terms to me. And uh, why are you trying to make our, our schools um, soft, Manuel? Uh, You're right. That's, that's. That's what I think about That's the about problem, that. right? The um, kids aren't tough enough. That's the problem here. Kids aren't tough enough. Back in my day, we didn't cry over whatever, over bullying. It made you tough. That's right. We just went went to the bar with our paycheck on Friday and drank it all away and left our family at home to, uh, you know, yeah. struggle to feed themselves. and Alpha you know, male, and Jeff. Abused our spouses and children. So, you know, grr, tough, tough guy. Um, America. Yeah, so... I, you know, I, yeah, man. Well, it is. It's unsettling, right? This, this. Data. That's a great word um, for it. Unsettling, yes. Yeah, I would like to point out. So, in the conclusions of the paper, um, they point out the the following. I'm going to quote from it here briefly. They say, "Moreover, it is possible that the average student saw decreases in her or his mental health due to school closures, and only a small but important subset of the most vulnerable saw improvements due to the stress." that in-person schooling created for them. Um, and then they point out actually uh, things like analyses of real-time hospital surveillance data suggest suicide attempts rose by 50% among young women during the pandemic overall. Uh, uh, oh, wow. Meanwhile, self-reported major episodes of depression rose among both youth and young adults. So I do think it's important to see this in context too, right? That like they're even calling out there's a perhaps an important distinction between the students who are uh, either most likely or wind up attempting suicide versus the sort of you know average uh, you know more average kid who might who might 
be experiencing a, a like if you graphed what's the quality of your experience now that schools reopened, we might see a large set of kids where that's an upward graph, and then we might see a subset of kids that are like experiencing this steep downward um, downward graph. It's also I think important to point out that suicide, the numbers of youth suicides are relatively low. Like we're talking about, you know, single digits per 100,000 kind of, kind of thing. Now that is not at all to dismiss the attention we should pay to those single digits um, or, you know, or anything like that, but it's just to say also, you know, it's not like half the kids are committing suicide or something, right? Um, so, you know, we, we do need to like maybe keep some perspective. Uh, yeah, in, that's in terms important. Of numbers there. Um, that said, Obviously, we want the youth suicide rate to be exactly zero, right? Like, <laughs> correct. This this should be the most hopeful, optimistic period of one's life, uh, and you should be, you know, in theory, less burdened by the responsibilities you've made. Very few big life-altering mistakes, you know, in your life. You have not, you know, done all the stuff that adults can feel great regret about or, you know, go to therapy for years because they weren't there for their kids while they worked too much or, you know, whatever, right? Um, so you would think that, you know, this should be like zero or next to zero, right? Um, so glad this data is out there. I, you know, I do think Manuel, I feel like this is sort of a, a lens on the conversation that I keep coming back to. So I, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I think maybe we need a broken record, which is like, what do we actually consider to be the important outcomes we expect to see from education? And societally, we currently have, have a relatively narrow definition to which we elevate importance publicly, which includes, you know, mostly kind of quantitative measures, graduation rates, test scores, reading scores, um, you know, these, these sorts of things. And, I, you know, I don't think that all those are bad things necessarily. But I think if we, if we zoomed out for a second and actually said, like, What's happening with the youth of this country? And what would it look like for us to be in a better place with them? We wouldn't start with the test scores, you know? We would start with like, well, none of them are killing themselves, right? Cause like, that's clearly a bad sign. Um, we would start with things like, they're feeling good about life, about themselves, about their ability to have a, a peer group, uh, you know, and friends about their ability to, um, you know, uh, take on new challenges and learn new things and develop confidence and a good sense of self-esteem, right? Um, they would be safe and, you know, we would be starting with those kinds of things and, you know, their identity develop is developing in really positive ways, you know, and all of that complexity through, you know, gender, race, sexuality, whatever, right? Um, and I think it's, it's, this is another piece of data telling us that like, oh, we're not paying attention to all the right things. We're paying attention to some stuff that obviously has some importance, but we're not paying attention to all the right stuff. And, and these are choices. These are policy choices we've made. We can make different choices. You know, imagine a state report card that instead of just test scores for a district had things like, you know, what's the well-being of the youth? 
in that district, you know? Um, and imagine yeah. a similar type of report card that's given to governors and state legislatures and mayors and city councils to be like, how well are the people <laughs> and the communities that you are supposed to you know, be serving, right? And that we are, our democratic enterprise is supposed to be serving. Um, and, and so I think it's just a reminder to like, we can we can shift this. These are intentional choices. We can choose differently, and and this is yet another data point that maybe tells us like how important that kind of shift could be. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, and I wonder if there are states out there because I know our state has the um, um, dang, I forget the name of it. The wellness survey that they give the kids. Healthy Kids mm -hmm. Survey, is that what it's called? I, I think so, right. yeah. I but I wonder how many other states have something similar, and then how many states utilize or embed that data into their overall reporting about student perform uh, school performance and, and such. I'm just curious, because I haven't you know, had heard any conversation around um, approaches towards that, because yeah, I think especially, especially now that it's clear that we are uh, in the midst of what many are calling a mental health crisis with, with our young folks, um, seems especially important that we look at some of that data and certainly elevate that, um, at least to the level of importance that, that folks want to give to, to, you know, traditional test measure, uh, test scores and, and this and that. So yeah, man, I'm all for that. And, um, we do want to discuss another story, Jeff, that isn't as, as um, I guess unsettling, unless of course you are um, somebody who is anti-woke because the woke mob mafia has struck again, um, particularly here in California, because you know, obviously California and in, in um, San Francisco, actually in, in the Bay Area, which is of course the capital of wokeness. And um, they struck again and they are trying the woke mob is trying to erase the legacy of a great white American, a great pioneer. <laughs> and they are trying to rob us, Jeff. Oh. They are trying to rob us of the, the name and legacy and the history of this great pioneer. And how dare they, Jeff? So we got a story here um, related to a name change. Why are they always trying to erase, erase history, Jeff? That's what mm. these woke folks are doing, trying to erase mm. history. Tell us about this name change, Jeff. What's being changed <laughs> and why is it a problem? Uh, okay, so first of all, can we just reflect for a moment on the phrase, a great white American, which I feel like is a phrase that, you know, someday sh should be, you, like, we should have, be able to say that. And right now, as soon as you said that, I just like I just got a shudder down my spine. Where I was like, "Ooh, that that seems a clear indication that <laughs> this person did some horrible things." Um, so we need some new great white Americans, man. Well, like John, we should have like John Brown University or something here. Um, okay, so uh, moving on to your actual question, this story. First of all, I got to give a shout out to the uh, to the homie, um, our our friend from grad school. Uh, one, uh, Jenny Kwan, Dr. Jenny Kwan, who yep. uh, works in the administration um, at what had been previously named the Hastings uh, School of Law, UC Hastings uh, School of Law, 
which now, as of January 1st, I believe, uh, will be known as University of California uh, School of Law at San Francisco. Am I messing up the title now? UC um, College of the Law, San Francisco. College of the Law, San Francisco. Thank you so much. I'm... I'm uh, uh, appreciate that. So uh, UC Hastings renamed UC College of Law at San Francisco. Um, now, uh, folks might be wondering, well, why? Like, what is, you know, who is Hastings? What is this? So well, before that, Jeff, I, just, to, just to let folks know who, may, who might not be in California, like, what the hell school is this? I never heard of it. Um, it is a very, very big, powerful law school. And that happens to be where Vice President uh, Kamala Harris um, got her degree in law. So a lot of heavy hitters have gone through what was called UC Hastings College of the Law. And now it's just UC College of the Law, in San Francisco. Anyways, go ahead. Who was Hastings? Why they yeah. take his name out, Jeff? Why are they trying to erase the legacy of this Hastings character? <laughs> yeah, okay. So, uh, so this name change has happened. The state legislature, the governor made it happen, right? Saranus Hastings. I, I, um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that first name correctly. Um, was uh, the original kind of founding benefactor of the university who gave a bunch of gold to found this college, uh, College of the Law. Uh, turns out that Mr. Hastings, um, <laughs> you know, in our modern lens on history, um, is, uh, has a bit of a notorious past, uh, was known for leading massacres uh, against a number of the local indigenous uh, tribes here in California, specifically um, the Valley Indian tribes and the Yuki, um, who, uh, whose ancestors uh, suffered mass killings and atrocities um, funded and supported by the founder of the Hastings, uh, formerly named um, Hastings College of Law. Uh, and this was in the like mid 19th century uh, period of American history. So in our modern wisdom, uh, folks have raised, as we've talked about with many, with K-12 schools and other you know, public monuments and things, they're like, this aspect of our colonizer history is trash and needs to be challenged. And in this case, it has been challenged and um, the name has been changed, which is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And the university has also announced that they are now um, under litigation uh, from, the <laughs> uh, from the family, from a small group of alumni and descendants uh, of Serranus Hastings. Um, so four of his great-great-great-grandchildren, uh, some other descendants, and a small group of alumni sued the law school in October, disputing not only that the founder was a racist, which is hilarious, uh, but also the school's legal right to change the name without paying a massive penalty, $1.7 billion. So um, I just... <laughs> I just want folks to let that soak in. Here we have yet another example of colonizers getting their comeuppance and demanding reparations. <laughs> for for 1.7 with a B. Yeah. That's what yeah, the family yeah. wants for yeah. stripping his name from the name of the college. Yeah. Now, the, the logic behind this is that um, Hastings founded the University of California's first law school with $100,000 in gold and a deal that included gold, by the way, that I'm sure he got just by 
ethically and responsibly sourcing his labor and digging up himself. Um, and uh, so he gave this in a deal that included uh, a new state law requiring that the college, quote, shall forever be known, end quote, as the Hastings College of the Law. If not, the state would have to pay back the $100,000 plus interest. Okay, so this is, you know, whatever, 19th century, $100,000, which today is, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars plus compounding interest, uh, they say now equals $1.7 So the university says it's confident it's going to win in its litigation. Heaven help us all if they do not. But, um, you know, I want to say props to the powers that be and the legislature, the governor's office, and at the university uh, that made this happen. Um, I imagine there were some folks organizing for this for some period of time that, uh, that actually pushed um, for this change to happen. And I support every single possible example of denaming things after colonizers and naming them after things that are just about anything else but colonizers. Um, and, you know, I hope that in some small way this brings a tiny measure of relief to the indigenous folks uh, who have suffered at the hands of, uh, of Mr. Hastings. And uh, I hope it serves as just like an, an important message to us all that we, that we need not celebrate the legacy of colonizers. Um, their place is in the libraries and for us to study so that we do not repeat the sins of the past. Their place is not on the nameplate above the front door of public institutions and public monuments. Yeah, yeah. Woke mob struck again, Jeff. They're trying to erase the legacy of Hastings. Um, so, yeah, uh, for me, the most shocking part about the story, you know, and I, I second everything you said about uh, removing the names of um, problematic folks, racist folks, colonizer folks, uh, genocidal folks from our institutions, especially our public institutions, especially our public institutions. Um, why hold on to a name that is associated with colonization when you could just name it off of where it's at. So, you know, you see College of the Law, San Francisco, that's where it is. Boom. Or, you know, better yet, find somebody, somebody dope to name it after. But in any case, yeah, for folks who aren't familiar, and I think most folks aren't very familiar with the, the legacy of um, California's genocide against Native peoples, I, I certainly recommend the book An American Genocide um, by Benjamin Madley. Um, it's a it's a big read and it's a heavy read, but it's a very detailed read of uh, California's genocide against Native peoples in during the time period in which uh, Hastings lived. So um, the book uh, specifically looks from the 1840s through the 1870s. Um, but yeah, all kinds of horrible stuff was done. Um, whole expeditions organized and funded to to go off into the wilderness and murder any Native peoples that um, they can find. And it, it looks like Hastings was a part of that, part of um, some of these expeditions trying to uh, openly attack uh, indigenous folks. And Jeff, you left out that the, the his fortune and the gold and all that stuff was, um, you know, his own bootstraps in stealing lands from native folks and stealing um, the gold and using that 
to be rich and to ball out. So yeah, well, I thought I've, it just came from him paying a living wage to willing employees and uh, and actually just just panhandling himself, right? Getting in the getting in there with that. What what is the what is the pan called that they rotate the water in the rivers or whatever? <laughs> like, is that oh, called for the gold. Oh yeah, right? oh, I forgot all about yeah. that. Um, yeah, uh, I thought <laughs> that he takes was just back out to there my every day looking for nuggets. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, no, that takes me back to my childhood, uh, like in elementary school when we learned about the gold rush and all that. Like we learned all about the yeah. pan and how they would like do this and that. We learned nothing about the native peoples who were who were murdered and the um, the Mexican folks who um, had been there since before, since um, when, since it was actual Mexico, um, who stayed after the Mexican-American War and were promised the full guaranteed rights of U.S. citizens, but then were. Um, brutally run off the land, especially if there was any gold around. We didn't learn that stuff. We learned about the pan, though, Jeff. We learned about the pan mm -hmm. and yes. you know swishing yeah. it around because the gold was heavier and it would would stay, and then the the dirt and other sediment would would swish out. Damn, that takes yeah. me back. Anyways, uh, brutal stuff. Brutal, very brutal stuff happening back then. So if if it's even a possibility that Hastings had anything to do with it and him being a super wealthy person at the time, if you look at his photo, he like has the mustache of some, not to, not to profile, not to profile, but he has that big colonizer racist mustache, man. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not saying he is. I, I, I never met the man, obviously. Uh, I've never done my own historical research about the man, but it sounds like experts who have looked into it have found connections between him and this really, really brutal, brutal stuff that happened. So why should the, the flag law school of the state of California carry his name um, if he's associated with such brutality like not nah, take the name off it's crazy that the family is suing because I guess the deal was you know he 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 funded the school to he founded the school with a hundred thousand dollars and it was supposed to bear his name forever um, lest the hundred thousand be returned plus interest in for that to be $1.7 billion. Jeff, I just wish I was in the room when the lawyers and the family uh, calculated that out. Like, I wanna hear those conversations. They had to be laughing when they came up with that number because that is a comical number, 1.7 billion. You want the state of California to pay you $1.7 billion for taking the name Hastings off of the law school? Get out of here, man. Talk about wanting a government handout. Anyways, I this can't is, wait for that to be thrown out. That's what I'm saying, man. This is the vintage colonizer mentality, man. Like they're they Crazy. are so so okay. So first of all, a um, couple of credits that I did I didn't give earlier. Uh, so I was quoting there from an article in the San Francisco Chronicle by Nanette Asimov uh, from December 30th. So shout out uh, Nanette for the great reporting. Um, and I don't think I finished my thought earlier about the homie Jenny Kwan who works at now the University of California College of the Law, San Francisco, um, who uh, first hipped us to this story uh, by sharing it on Facebook. So uh, thank you, Jenny, for that. And Manuel, looking at, so as you were talking, I was Googling pictures of uh, Serranus Hastings' colonizer mustache. He definitely looks like the type of dude who would have gone on some some sort of, quote, safari in Africa. With like one managed, of the big elephant managed, guns. Yeah, yes. and managed to come out with slaves. Like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> he looks exactly like that. Except, I guess, you know, he didn't have to go to Africa. He was like, I'll just massacre people here in America. Why, why not? Um Okay, so LA Times, uh, in an article by Michael Hiltzik, um, from back in October, uh, has a fantastic headline, Manuel, which is illustrative. And the, t the headline is as follows. Serranus Hastings' heirs say he's the victim of cancel culture. 
history ties him to massacres of Native Americans. <laughs> and I'm like, this is this is the mentality these folks have, man. They're like, they're like cancel culture. So if you're wondering, like, if you have not been able to see the connections between the enslavers and colonizers of the past and the people today who are doing the the dirt, continuing that work with their nice suits and their beautiful social media accounts and their graphically pleasing Fox News presentation. It's the same people, man. It's literally their heirs <laughs> talking about cancel culture, talking about we we need reparations because you've besmirched my great 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 grandfather, who was clearly a jackass colonizer. <laughs> like this is not even ambiguous. So you know, I just it's it's a fascinating we I think we in this country we have severed our our understanding of old history and new history like those were those were those people back in the day but they're not us today we're not responsible today and then every now and then you get a picture of jerry jones standing in front of the school keeping the black kids out or serranus hastings heirs <laughs> talking about cancel culture demanding a bit almost two billion dollars because we want to tell the truth about their great 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 grandfather who they don't care about you know and didn't know and in theory bear no responsibility for his actions right but of course they do in the sense that they have benefited from his raping and pillaging and but at the same time they're self-made and pulled themselves up by their bootstraps so, yeah yeah and that's that's crazy that you point out the obvious hypocrisy there like if you feel that you should you aren't entitled to the money that he had in his contract, then ostensibly you would also be liable for the mm. damage he did at the mm. time. Like if you could get the benefits, why can't you be held liable for the 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 harms done? You know, it's just a. Mm. Uh, but yeah, you know what? We're cancel culture. We're canceling canceling people for what? For a couple massacres? Wow, wow, soft, soft woke mob, all that. You know, wild, as you man. said that, Manuel, part of me is like, oh, we should give him the $1.7 billion and turn and right around build him for everything and else. take Hell like $3 yeah. billion <laughs> hey. from their Absolutely. From them Absolutely. now. Be like, oh, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Now you have some money and indigenous people could sue you because you are the colonizer. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. For sure. Nah, I love that. Like, okay, they get the money and then the, the Yuki people of Northern California could sue for all of the harm done, because if that one hundred thousand translates to one point seven billion, um, I could imagine what the number might be for the individuals killed by Hastings and his folks. Um, there is no yeah. number, of course, no number at all what, to capture that. What, but the entire fortune, the entire everything that came um, down through the through the line. What's what? What would you say? Like a quarter of the land mass of Northern California, and and like I don't know. What would you say? Tens of thousands of people uh, who are slaughtered. Like what? What? What is that worth with interest, Manuel? I'm saying though, I don't, I don't know. But the descendants of of those indigenous peoples are uh, many of them live on the Round Valley Indian Reservation, according to my quick Google search. So sounds like that reservation should be expanded to include all of the land and all of the fortune of the Hastings family. If if the modern day descendants of Hastings feel that they are are inexplicably, inexplicably tied to his fortune and deserve the 1.7 billion. 
um, I imagine the folks on that uh, on that reservation are entitled to much more than the 1.7, 1.7 for sure. Crazy, man. Anyways, all right. Law school. Um, Jeff, before we get out of here, anything else? Anything else that uh, we need to mention or talk about? Uh, no, I think we're good, man. We, we, uh, I think we touched on it today. Um, I know that, uh, here in California, uh, or at least in Southern California, many folks were back to school this past week. So I hope people had a good start to the second semester and, um, and are feeling, you know, still feeling energized at this point. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And um, just want to say again, we definitely appreciate all of y'all who who stick with us here through all the above, through the passing periods and through the, the full episodes with our guests and all that. And man, it's hopefully a, a great start to the school, uh, the semester for those of you who have recently started the semester. Uh, many of you hopefully have a three day weekend if you are listening during the weekend um, for Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. So hopefully you enjoy that. And if you don't have a three day weekend, that's trash. That's just trash. Um, so I'll leave that at that. So, all right, folks, remember that we love y'all. You could go back through all the archives. We done had so many discussions about so many different topics. So if you're relatively new to all of the above, definitely thumb through that feed or go to our website, aotashow.com and check out some of the dope conversations we've had with a, 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 a whole lot, a whole lot of, of super dope guests, um, out there. And a lot of that, a lot of those conversations are, um, really great to go back to and just do some learning and, and do some exploring about different approaches or um, different efforts underway to make school um, a really humanizing, loving, super dope place for our young people. So shout out to everybody out there. Enjoy your weekend or your upcoming week. We will be back next weekend. Oh, I, I believe so. I believe we'll be back very soon with another passing period and then a full episode right after that. So until then, go ahead and Get to class.